when I say you need to learn who you really are, part of it's actually an unlearning. And in, in my, my book, The Real Self-Love Handbook, I invite people to go back and look at all the ways you've been molded and shaped into who you think you are today. Because your identity, for most people, literally is this socialized mask or a series of masks that you wear. And so there's this wonderful clarity that comes. As soon as you can see all of these influences and how they've made you what you are today, you can recognize that it's not inherently you. This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 353 with guest Andrea Pennington. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. How are you? I think that's the most loaded question of 2020, right? And I know when I answer that question... I used to always answer that question. Well, I would say 99% of the time I would answer the question, I'm great because 99% of the time I was great. And now my frequent answer is, I'm okay. I'm okay, given the circumstances, right? It is rough out there, y'all. And I've been thinking a lot about you and how I can best serve you in 2020. And it's looking like, into 2021, we're going to be in a similar boat of unrest, of uncertainty for many people in struggle. And I am going to be sending out an email shortly within the next couple months, sometime probably towards the end of September, asking that question, how can I help you best on the podcast? So if you're not already on my email list, I would so appreciate it if you hopped over to yourkickasslife.com slash free. That's the easy access page to be able to sign up for my emails that I send out. We also send out some pretty great emails that I think that you'll really enjoy. (laughs) But more specifically around this, I am going to send out a very, very short sort of, it's not even a questionnaire. We're keeping it really short and simple and uh, asking for your opinion. I want to know what you all want for the podcast. I have an excellent lineup coming up this fall of interviews. I have people coming on talking about healing from narcissistic abusive relationships. I have someone coming on talking about communication, how to communicate more more beneficially, more healthy, more maturely. I have someone coming on talking about happiness, which I'm sure that conversation has changed this year. So I'm super excited to bring you those interviews. I also have a candid conversation coming up, a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people with my friend Liz, who's also my lead coach over here at Your Kick-Ass Life. We're going to be talking about mental health. I've had a conversation with my friend Kate about that. This one's a little bit different, as well as aging and perimenopause. So you're in for a treat on that. And again, I just really want to know how I can best show up for y'all, because that's what this show is about, helping you live your own kick-ass life. 
Today's guest is someone that I've known for a very long time. I'm going to wait until we start talking and you can hear how I met this lovely, lovely woman. Andrea Pennington is here and she is an expert on so many beautiful, amazing things, helping and serving women. So for those of you that don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Andrea Pennington is an integrative physician, acupuncturist, meditation teacher, number one international best-selling author, and TEDx speaker. With her extensive medical expertise and training in trauma recovery, combined with her experience in traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, Dr. Andrea helps people build resilience, reclaim vitality, and thrive despite the inevitable trauma and drama life brings. Integrating ancient wisdom with modern science, she empowers people to develop personal mastery of mind, body, and soul by developing the innate ability to heal while reconnecting to the authentic self. So without further ado, here is Dr. Andrea. Andrea, thanks for being here. It's such a pleasure to reconnect. I didn't want to tell you this when we were chatting before because I wanted to get your just initial reaction, but you were the very first person who ever interviewed me in 2009. Oh, <laughs> that is so cool. I didn't think you knew that. You probably thought, you know, maybe I was already at least a little bit established, but no, I was so excited to get your invitation. And I remember I was so nervous and I was also very pregnant with my daughter. So you know how when you're pregnant and it it's hard to breathe when you're that pregnant? And oh, yeah. I remember I was so nervous and then I felt like I was breathing really hard during that interview. <laughs> I had my friend listen to it. She's like, no, you sounded good. But thank you for kicking off. I've done hundreds now. So I just appreciate oh, you so much. That is so <laughs> wonderful. Chance. Well, I love that it comes full circle and now you're interviewing me right. for your, your show. Yeah, and I'm. I feel terrible that I haven't had you on sooner. I was. I was scrolling through my Facebook friends. I'm like, who have I not interviewed? Who's really awesome? I know there's women on my Facebook friend. I was like, Andrea Pennington. I wonder if she remembers me. So I'm super glad that you're here. And you know, and, and look, updating myself on your work, looking at your website and your like, you've done like a million TED talks. You've written like a billion books. <laughs> so- I've been busy. You have been busy over the last, what, 11 years now. Your work spans several really important, amazing topics. And I, I actually am really curious about your life previous to kind of what you do now. And you are a physician. Am I right in that? I'm, I'm curious, like, where, how did you come to be here and doing the more spiritual work that you do? Well, I think I've been kind of on this journey since childhood, like so many people, I was impacted by my parents' divorce, and I really felt this dual push-pull from my mom and my dad. My mother is actually a physician as well, and uh, so for me, I admired her. I loved this idea of knowing everything about the body and the mind. I used to follow her around on her hospital rounds, and when I was a teenager, I was like the you know, medical director of her <laughs> practice, which is like so silly. But my father, who is a mathematician, he had this strong influence towards like education, education, education. And so I was good in school. I, I wanted my dad's approval as a, a kid, of, you know, in this divorced family. I always wanted to please him. But the challenge was I really loved the performing arts. 
Mm-hmm. And my mother never discouraged me from that. She liked to play piano. She liked to sing Barbara Streisand. So I was always performing. So I was in community theater. I was doing dance, um, singing and music. But my dad was always saying, like, you can't rely on that stuff. Can't rely mm-hmm. on that. And I think there was, you know, this sort of tension in me that set me on this path towards achieving. So as a kid, I wanted my dad's approval. And of course, I had to get good grades in order to stay in the band and in cheerleading and in the theater. So it set me on this like an intense path that later turned into perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And when I got into my adult years, I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt like I was smart enough. I never felt like I was done. And it turns out that even when I got hired by the Discovery Health Channel, so you know, after med school, I did get to combine my creative stuff with medicine. I was on TV every single day. I was working as their medical director and spokesperson. And for people listening, the Discovery Health Channel has now become the Oprah Winfrey Network. So I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a big deal that happened um, after I left the network. And so while I was at Discovery, I, I got to be on the Oprah show a couple of times. I started doing other um, TV networks besides Discovery Health. And I had this like growing sense of anxiety because as more, the more famous-ish I became, the more uncomfortable I was. I had this this feeling, it's, it's typical imposter syndrome. I really felt like people are going to find out I don't know enough mm-hmm. and I'm not smart enough, that I'm a fraud. And it wasn't until um, my early 30s that I kind of hit rock bottom. And it was the first time that I, I really felt depression and anxiety so debilitating that I didn't even want my life anymore. And it was kind of that first wake-up call that it's like, and it's so obvious. I mean, everybody goes through this. You, you know, build up this big portfolio or career or wealth or whatever status. And then you realize it's meaningless. Like, yeah. I really was grateful that I had all the opportunity that I had, but it wasn't fulfilling. Like, it wasn't lighting me up. I didn't feel like, I never felt like I had arrived. Mm-hmm. And in 2005, I really hit a low and wanted everything to be over. And that's when I had a spiritual awakening. Yeah. <laughs> that shifted everything. Oh my gosh. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that story and, and kind of how you got here. And I, I know what that feels like. You get to the place where on the outside, all your dreams have come true, you know, and, and a lot of celebrities have talked about that. You know, they've amassed wealth and fame and fortune and and then looked in the mirror and been like, is this is this all there is? And that's when mm-hmm. a lot of people come to life coaching. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And thank God for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And therapy too. Therapy is important in that in that too. Well, I want to sort of shift gears, and it's not, I guess, shifting gears all that far, but to talk about resilience, because that's something that you talk about. Um, so how can someone, and, and I, it's a topic I love that I believe is so important in being able to get to a place of confidence and to be more courageous. And can you, can you talk about that for a while? Um, just, or I mean, more so, why do you think that it's something that is a topic that you talk about a lot and especially for women? Yeah, for me, resilience, I, I've come to understand that we're all born resilient Mm -hmm. We may not always use our resilience muscles and they need to be built up, 
But what I discovered was as a physician, when I had this, this big wellness center, um, I was working with people who had addiction and eating disorders. And we had started to gain some notoriety and people were being referred into us. And because it was kind of this multidisciplinary hybrid approach, we had acupuncture, psychotherapy, um, nutrition counseling, we had a holistic spa and a fitness center all within one space, which is of course not very innovative now, but at the time it was. And so what, what I noticed was most people would come through our program and as soon as they understood how the body and the brain worked and what their impulses were driven by, many of them would get better. Mm -hmm. But there was like this small subset of our people who would not get better. They would either sabotage their health plan or they would switch addictions or there'd be some other drama that came up in their lives. And for me, it, it baffled me until I discovered that many of them had trauma in their background. They had one of these adverse childhood experiences. And that's when I realized, okay, because I was trying to figure out why are these other patients, group A, they're so resilient. They're using whatever their challenge was to like get stronger. They bounce forward. They have what we call post-traumatic growth. Whereas mm -hmm. these other people were developing post-traumatic stress disorder and, and going down this, this, this downward cycle. And so I realized that if we could help people heal from whatever drama or trauma was in their past, then we could then start to teach them how to build back up their own resilience muscles. And earlier this year, we, we published a book, The Top 10 Traits of Highly Resilient People. So over the last decade, I've been able to really pull together the research, you know, clinical data, because I am still a nerd, but also kind of the spiritual principles, the mindfulness principles that allow each of us to become more resilient. And I think to answer your question, it's, in, it's important for women because so many of us put ourselves so far down on the list if we even make it on our own to-do list. Mm -hmm. And we suck up a lot and we mistake that for resilience. So and what I mean is we tolerate stress and mistreatment from a lot from ourselves, working hard to take care of the family and our, you know, our significant other or the dog or our, you know, parents or in-laws and, you know, trying to have a kick-ass life. Mm -hmm. And yet we mistake handling stress or tolerating stress as resilience. And so I want more women to really understand that self-care is a huge part of you becoming truly resilient. Because if you don't, if you just suck it up and just power through, what we now know is that there are decades of research that show that you're damaging the brain, the nervous system, all the way down to your DNA, that which accelerates aging and sets you up for health conditions later. So... That's why I teach about it. Thank you for saying all of that. I was just talking to my therapist earlier this week, and she was talking about the level of stress and that, that women can tolerate for such a long period of time before it really starts to take a physical and mental and emotional toll. She said, usually by the time people come to therapy or um, it's really it's really affecting them, it's 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 been longer than it should have gone on. I also love that you say that tolerating stress, I might be misquoting you, but it, tolerating stress is not the same as resilience. Not the same thing. 
And a lot of people don't don't think of it. They think, yeah. you know, or, and we hear it. Unfortunately, we propagate it. Like, girl, you are just so strong. I don't know how yeah. you do it all. Like we give ourselves high fives and pats on the back. And so that that kind of forces us to think, okay, well, I really, I can't really let them know right. how much I'm suffering, how bad it is when I get home at night and what I'm eating and that I'm not sleeping and that I haven't had sex with my partner in how long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important that we're actually honest first with ourselves, first and foremost. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's its own flavor because I wrote a whole chapter on that in how to stop feeling like shit because and I, I, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was about being strong. And cause that was my experience. You know, I was always the strong one and then you get praised for it and the positive feedback, you know, like, Oh, I don't know how you handle it. And I don't know what I would have done in your situation. And then we internalize that as like, okay, this is what people admire me for. This is how I'm loved. This is what I'm mm. seen as. So it becomes your motivator. And for me, it became like this cycle that just was a recipe for disaster. So, And that is, it is a recipe for disaster and burnout. And what the reason I, I champion so much this, this call for resilience or true resilience is because as badass as we are handling all that we handle, there's actually some untapped potential. And it's, it's so counterintuitive to most of us who are like on this aggression track. When we stop and create better boundaries, when we look after ourselves, our nutrition, our fitness, our hydration, sleep, saying no to things that we don't really want to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. When we like really start to live our lives in alignment with our values, it unlocks even more potential. So as we build up these resilience muscles, we become even more resourceful. So the things that we do say yes to, when we show up for family time, we are exponentially more powerful. Yeah. Just being in radical alignment. Yep. Yeah. All right. In your 2014 TED Talk, you talked about embracing who you are. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you said was in order to do that, you first ha- have to learn who you are. So can you say more about that? Because I know that that's a, a term that gets thrown around a lot in personal development spaces. And I think a lot of people are, you know, like with a little question mark bubbles around their head. Like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. It's, it's amazing the number of people when I ask them, who are you really? They don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's, it's natural for us humans to get programmed From the moment that we're born, we are programmed and socialized and molded to fit into little boxes. And so unfortunately for the majority of people, that means that our true desires, our true interests were often pushed aside or pushed lower on the priority list. And then what what does that do for us? Well, it's just part of the human psyche. Our ego wants to fit in. We are pack animals. You know, we're part human animal and human spirit. And the human animal part of us wants to fit in. And so we do, we, we look at our, our peers, our family members, and we think, okay, what do I need to do to fit in, to continue to be accepted? And unfortunately, that's when parts of our authentic self get splintered off, thrust into the shadows. And so when I say you need to learn who you really are, part of it's actually an unlearning. And in, in my, my book, The Real Self-Love Handbook, I invite people to go back and look at all the ways you've been molded and shaped into who you think you are today. Because your identity, for most people, 
literally is this socialized mask or a series of masks that you wear. And so there's this wonderful clarity that comes as soon as you can see all of these influences and how they've made you what you are today, you can recognize that it's not inherently you. Like you're not what it says on your resume. You're not your, your ethnicity, your, your religion, a number on a scale, or even a, a diagnosis. You are this essential being, this consciousness. And there were some, some original imprints. I call it your soul print or your spiritual DNA. There were things that, that were probably impulses in your life that may have got denied or just pushed aside. And as soon as you can start to recognize the difference, then you start to really know who you really are. And who you are is this beautiful, infinite spiritual being with so much potential to live a kick-ass life. Yeah. Oh, I could listen to you talk all day long about these topics. <laughs> just like a, I just love it too. For my soul. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that I wonder if now in 2020 with the pandemic and just, I think that things are really sort of coming to a head. I also think it's ironic that, and I think I'm sort of late to this party and realizing that the year 2020 also symbolic of 2020 vision, people are having a lot of clarity. I was talking to a friend earlier this week and something had happened at a grocery store or coffee shop. Someone had gotten angry at her because she brought in her family and there was too many people in the coffee shop anyway. And I just thought, you know, it's this pandemic is bringing out the beautiful in people and it's bringing out the ugly. And I say that because I I wonder if there's people listening who are in their family unit and and realizing that the the people that they spend their time with, whether it's their partner or their their family of origin or their coworkers, are really not the kind of people that are in alignment with their true selves, with their authentic self. And then having to um, kind of what you were saying about how you had that feeling in your body, you know, when you were a physician and and realizing, you know, having your own spiritual awakening, I see that happening to people Mm -hmm. and the reckoning that people are having to do with themselves and with their families and having to have really hard conversations and set boundaries. This is really difficult to do, but I also feel like it's part of that learning who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's exactly what's happened with this isolation and the confinement. People who would have normally numbed themselves out by going to the bars and things or distracting themselves with lots of work or just kind of neglecting themselves by just being there for family or friends. This time of confinement has really allowed people to see who they really are uh, and confronting their shadow like all of the things that they have been suppressing or denying. Like there's only so much online social media and streaming videos you can handle till your own mind and your own psyche starts to say, hello, we need some -hmm. some attention here. So I do think that for a lot of people who were in jobs that that weren't really fulfilling and in relationships that weren't fulfilling before the pandemic hit, they are exactly as you say, they are realizing I have a choice And all of the choices I've made up to now, some of them have been based on survival or out of necessity, but I now have a choice. Like, how do I want to be? How do I want to live my life going forward? And who do do I want to show up as? Who do I want to be in relationship? And who do I want along with me for that ride? Uh, 
And I think that is a beautiful thing. I think it's painful as heck for people who may not have already been on a spiritual or personal development path. But this is the time of the Great Awakening. And it's, it, it was inevitable anyway, I believe. All of us are on a path of awakening. And it comes to us at different times in life. And whew, this pandemic is clearly a catalyst for that. Time of a Great Awakening. I feel like that's the title for your next book. <laughs> Maybe. Thanks. <laughs> um, you also talk about your own struggle with depression and how music has been such an influence and a, and a help for that. So can you, can you speak to that? Yeah. Music has been a part of my life. And I, I mentioned my mother when we mm-hmm. opened this discussion. I, what I didn't say is my mother is from British Guyana and she grew up in England with a very post-Victorian air. And so in our house, we heard children are to be seen, not heard. Hmm. So all of the kids, we were just meant to sit down, shut up, be quiet. You don't you know, ask a bunch of questions. You're not jumping all over the place. And so I never had the freedom to express until I discovered the theater and, and music. And that was where I finally had this like permission to express and emote and to be seen and to be heard. And I didn't realize how therapeutic that was until I got to medical school when all of that went away. I was at a very competitive med school. All I could do was really just focus and study to get through it. And that was when sort of existential angst and depression started to creep up. And it was actually, uh, I mentioned this in my, in my TED talk that the student health doctor remembered me uh, from when I interviewed there. So when I went there saying, listen, I'm depressed, like give me antidepressants. Like it, it, a lot of people in med school get depressed. So I didn't feel like ashamed. I was just like, look, I cannot deal. And she just looked at me and she said, wait, weren't you playing classical piano? Like, do I remember that right? And I'm like, dang, she's got a good memory. I'm like, yeah, I used to play piano. And she's like, how often do you play now? I'm like, dude, I have no time to right. <laughs> playing piano. I've got to like study just to keep up with these brainiacs. Are you kidding me? And she was the, the first person who said, I think you should play piano for 30 minutes a day. And I literally almost laughed in her face because 30 minutes a day was like radical. Mm-hmm. So she was like, okay, 30 minutes a week. And believe it or not, just allowing myself to tune back into music helped. And it came back up again years later. I was running this busy wellness center and I was really stressed. I mean, I was working full-time for Discovery Health Channel and running a a medical practice touring the U.S. on book tours and TV shows. And there was this moment when my COO came into my office and he was like, hey, doc, um, are you singing? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I just noticed that when you're singing, when you're like working on music at home, you are much easier to deal with when you come to work. Oh, wow. And I was like, dang, like somebody from the outside can see that. And it literally was kind of this reminder that creativity and artistic expression is not just a luxury. It's not a frivolous thing. It's essential for Mm -hmm. me. And over the years that has shown to be the case and that, spiritual awakening I told you about in 2005 actually was precipitated by me singing 
I was in the south of France here um, in Saint-Tropez and singing at this, you know, chic, sexy nightclub, like doing my little jazzy thing. And I had this experience of bliss where everyone, it just seemed like everyone was like in this, this flow, this movement. I was doing what I love most. They seemed to be receiving me. I felt like I was actually accepting and loving myself. And when I got back to my hotel room in Cannes, I was like, like what, what just happened? Like over there, I was the real me. I felt like more myself than anywhere. And I realized that in a couple of days, I'd have to go back, back to America, back into that box of conformity and all of the responsibility. And that's when I lost it. I literally broke down crying, asking God to take my life because I just didn't want that old life anymore. And so I ended up having an out-of-body experience because as I was crying my eyes out to God, I felt myself just trembling and I sort of melted into the bed. And then there was this bright, intense light and I literally thought God was answering my prayer because I felt myself being pulled out of my body into the light. And I felt such peace that I literally thought, okay, this is how the peace of death must feel. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this vision of my life. I had one of those life reviews that happens in a split second where every single detail of my life made sense. I understood completely why I was depressed. It was all of those decisions that I'd made, even though they were unconscious decisions. And as I kind of got this understanding that, oh, I could have made different choices, which sounds like so completely asinine, but at that time it was like a revelation. I get it. You have yeah. free will. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that's what free will is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I said yes. I said, okay, if I can choose, I say yes. And that's when I saw this vision. And in this vision of my future, I was living in the south of France. I was walking hand in hand with a child, which was a little crazy because at that point I was almost 35, single, and didn't think I was going to have kids. In this vision, I was also singing professionally. And in this future vision, I was healing with my hands, which was the only thing I was kind of like, wait, God, what? You're going to make me like a woo-woo doctor? Like... Massage, but everything sculptor. uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. There was just healing with my hands. But what was interesting is I felt such peace that I was like, okay, well, you know, most ninety-five percent of that vision looked great. (laughs) And when I said yes to it, I came back into my body. The depression, the anxiety, was gone. And I remember calling here from France. I called my COO and I was like, look, there's going to be some changes. Mm-hmm. I'm meant to be singing and living in France. So we're going to have to like shift some things. And it literally was what saved my life because I started reworking everything to live in alignment with my vision, my voice and my values. Now that is a spiritual experience. <laughs> you think? <laughs> oh my gosh. So many things stood out to me about that story. One of which is that it sounds like, and tell me if, if I'm correct in interpreting this, that you had to get to a place of complete surrender to be able to hear the messages that were coming to you. Cause I think many of us, you know, and those listening have been in that place of 
of kind of, I don't have a better word for it right now, but desperation and sort of hopelessness of I'm in so much pain. I don't know what the answer is. God, universe, <laughs> whatever. What do you have for me? Yeah. It's that question of, you know, and I've been there several times of, of not necessarily asking for something specific, but just like the open-ended question of like, what is it? I'm listening. Yeah. That place, I think when you hit that point is true surrender of, I don't have the answers anymore. And as a, a high achiever, I have a lot of overachievers that listen, that can be a difficult place to get to. We put up with a lot of shit before we get there. Yeah. And that's the challenge. Most of us do have to hit rock bottom or burn out to get to that point. Like you have no choice but to surrender. Right. Um, you know, and unfortunately I've met a lot of people, a lot of clients and, and others who got to that point and their choice was suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, I noticed that it was a complete surrender of ego and that complete opening to the divine. Like, look, like you said, I don't have the answers. I said, I literally said, God, take it, take my body, take my life, my business. I don't know what I'm doing with it. Mm-hmm. And in that surrender, I reconnected with my essential self and that's what saved my life. Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's. I, I just, I love your story so much and thank you for sharing it with us. So, so clearly and so vulnerably and, you know, when, when COVID first hit, I think a lot of people were sort of in that sort of blinding anxiety because nobody had any answers, no generation, no parent, no leader had been through this before to say it's going to be okay. And I remember sitting on the floor of my office thinking, just, you know, doomsday, like, is this mass extinction? Like, is this it? And just, and then from there, just the floodgates opened and I went into like this dark place. And then I had this overwhelming feeling. I mean, this wasn't in the same day (laughs) as the, as the days and weeks passed of, like you were saying, just complete, uh, peace and it was it was familiar, but also unexplainable. So that's what I think is that spiritual voice, the mm. intuition, really, the inner wisdom saying, "It's gonna be. You're gonna be okay. You're yeah. gonna be okay. Maybe it's not gonna be okay. You know, maybe nothing will go back to being the same. Like that wasn't what I was feeling, but it was just this certainty of. And I had that same feeling when I went through a horrible divorce and was on a run. And I lived in San Diego at the time and was stopped and it's going to sound really corny, but Natasha Bedingfield's um, unwritten song mm. was on in my, in my iPod. It was that long ago, but just that overwhelming feeling of peace, mm. like those moments, yeah. that to me is learning to listen to my intuition because the fear train is like persistent and persnickety and looping and um, also is very emotionally charged and where when I hear my intuition, it's, it's not, it's just is. Yeah. And I wish that I could explain it better than that for people that maybe struggle to hear it, but it's, I think you've described it beautifully. I think that the thing that I notice the difference between that inner knowing, which for me sometimes actually is a voice it can be also a feeling is the difference is it's clear and you feel it like in your bones and in your soul. Whereas the little persnickety voice, all the voices in our head have been implanted by other people and we've reinforced them. So they're familiar, right? Like it's just that familiar self judgment and criticism and berating. 
And that still small voice for most people is not familiar. And that's why it kind of hits us like, whoa, I should be stressed, but why do I feel peace? It's because it's resonating with our soul. And I'm, I'm hopeful that as people are learning now that there's a need for yoga and meditation and inquiry, that people will become more in touch and in tune with that inner knowing because we all will be okay. We will be fine on, on the deepest, deepest level of who we really are. All right. I want, you know, now that you just shared this deeply personal story, so you talk about how there's power in, in sharing your personal story. So what I have found with some of my listeners is that they struggle to, you know, being vulnerable is hard. We know that. And we also know it's the key to connection and intimacy. How can someone start sharing their personal story that is the most in alignment with their, with their true self? I Go on a podcast reckon- and like share your most like, personal <laughs> <laughs> Well, you might not start there. Um, I have noticed over the years, um, I actually started a company called Make Your Mark Global. And I help healers and doctors and therapists and other light workers share their story through books, through TED Talks, through the media. And what I've noticed is you don't want to go straight there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's actually actually a process. Mm -hmm. And so what I actually recommend is start by writing. I have developed an, a, a life writing process that allows people to go back, just like I did when I was out of my body, and do a life review where you can pinpoint and identify where you gave away your power, where you took on the belief that you were not enough or that it was not okay to be seen or that you were bad or wrong. Where did you acquire that victim mentality? And then through expressive writing, which has been studied for decades, actually, it's a well-researched tool in therapy. By writing your story, you can actually resolve some of the pain and the the trauma from your past. And then you give new perspective to it. So, for example, one of the, the life writing exercises that I give to everyone, it's totally free. I invite people to imagine themselves at that age, whatever age they were wounded. So this is like inner child work. So if you could go back and speak to that younger version of you that was teased on the playground or made fun of at school or whipped by your your father, what did he or she need to hear then? And you can write a letter to them or you can do what we call the, the, the two chair dialogue, actually sit down with your inner child and tell him or her everything that she needed to hear back then. Because for most of us, we didn't have that heroic caregiver, adult or compassionate person to help us create perspective. Because whenever that happened, the, the, the developing ego assumes that I, I got to fix this. I must be ra- bad or wrong. I brought it on myself. It's up to me to fix if nobody else came to my rescue. And that's when we take on all of these maladaptive coping strategies. And sometimes we do incorporate that inner voice. that's like, you know, you shouldn't speak up. Nice girls don't do that, you know. And so if you, if you are feeling like you want to share your story before you try to get on stage or a podcast, because I've seen that backfire. I've literally, unfortunately, had someone very close to me who thought that they were ready to share because they'd seen me do it. Now, I didn't go and do that TED Talk until I was well healed. Yeah. (laughs) 
she got up on stage and her inner child for the next six to eight months was in a free for all rage. It, she burned through relationships, oh dear. Um, her work, because the inner child was not ready to be exposed. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's the challenge because we intellectually, like I can go back and look at, okay, my parents got divorced when I was three. My mother moved us from Nevada to Colorado. And at that time, we didn't have Skype, we didn't have FaceTime. So how must that have felt to me as a three-year-old growing up, all of a sudden, my dad's not there? So I can intellectually understand, oh, that's why you've been kind of like having these abandonment issues in, in relationships and stuff. But guess what? That intellectual understanding does not change the triggers that come up when intimacy was present until I went back and did this inner child healing work to help her grow up and come into the present and know that it's now safe, that not everyone is like, you know, your father, for example. So it's, it's really critical that you do the work, whether you do that with a, a life coach or with a therapist or on your own doing some of these journaling exercises. It, is, it seems so simplistic, but it is deeply profound. And in my, my medical practice, every one of my clients did it. The people who had experienced the worst traumas you could imagine in life just doing these exercises and sometimes not even sharing what they've written with a therapist. There is this unburdening that happens as we share, as we say and speak the truth, even if it's just in written form. There's an unburdening of your soul that allows you to heal and to evolve. So that's what I'd recommend. Um, I, I also support people every month by going live for free in a, a private Zoom And anyone who's going through these life writing exercises in the book or the free ones online, they can come and get help to process and do guided meditations. Yeah, the second Tuesday of the month. Not every month. month. Not not every every Tuesday. Every month. Second Tuesday. Yeah. We'll link to that in the show notes along with the link to the to those writing prompts and your your TED Talks and your books. And thank, thank you, you so much for being here. I, this is long overdue, woman. Long I know. overdue. I know. I'm so grateful that we're reconnected. I really am. I'm just so grateful to be able to hear about your work on a more deep level. And it's so in alignment with with what I do. And um, thank you for continuing to do this work. Thank you universe for giving you the spiritual experience that you needed to have to be able to help people like you do. And when I ever am around the South of France, I I can come and see you. Come and hang out. It's beautiful here. It sounds so glamorous to Americans. I know. And it, it does have that, that, that vibe at certain times of the year, like the Cannes Film Festival. But it's, it's, it's also just a, a tiny little village. Yeah. 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 Here, uh, here in Cannes, I'm right near the beach and that is beautiful, but it's also just a, a simple little French town. So I get to have kind of a, a chill life, which is what I needed. After it sounds leaving. glorious. Yeah. yeah. It sounds glorious. Well, thank you so much. I am so grateful for your time. And also my listeners, you know how how grateful I am that you choose to spend your time with me and my guests. And until next time, everyone, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 